Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm so excited that you are listening and you have this to look forward to from today's message. What we have to understand is in our day and time, we're concerned about titles, degrees, possessions. Those are the types of things that cause you to want to listen to somebody, cause you want to follow somebody. In this day and time, what was first and foremost most important was where did you come from? In John chapter 19, Pilate looks at Jesus and he asks the question, where did you come from? Because where you came from for right and for wrong often influence how people received you and accepted you. Welcome to Hope for the Day with Pastor Philip Holland. As the Christmas season comes upon us, there is much that we can expect. Christmas carols will be sung, Christmas decorations will be hung, Christmas presents will be wrapped and unwrapped, and Christmas cards will be sent and received. But even with so much that we can expect, there is also much that comes to us unexpectedly. Sometimes it is an unexpected layoff. Other times it is an unexpected illness or even an unexpected family disagreement. So what are we supposed to do with these unexpected surprises that come to us each Christmas? Well, in this sermon series, we'll be looking closely at the first Christmas and all of the unexpected events connected to it to better understand how we are to respond to all of the unexpected events which will come to us this Christmas. Every Christmas we think about and we remember the sacrifice, or not sacrifice, but the birth of our Savior who would ultimately sacrifice himself for us. The birth of God's only son coming into this world. And with that, I began to think this past week about my son, my only son who came into this world when he was born. And the unlikely journey that he went on that we went on as a family as he came into this world. Now to appreciate Isaiah being born, uh, you have to understand how his sister uh, Madison was born. And so Madison, we, she was our first and we, and we have four in case you didn't know that. And Madison came, when, she, when Laura was going into labor with Madison, she was having some contractions, but we really weren't sure if we needed to take her in. And so not being sure, you're always a little oversensitive. And so we immediately took her in the first signs that she showed of, of beginning to move into labor. But what, in hindsight, what we found out is we really went in a little too early. But we're, once you're there, they don't want to let you go especially once you're right around your due date. And our doctor was absolutely that way. So he said, hey, she's in the bed. Just leave her there. The baby will come in the next day or so. We promise. And so they hook her up to the IVs and several bags later of IV going into her and then all kinds of Pitocin going into her. 30 hours into it, she finally gives birth to Madison. And honestly, Madison should have been in, should have stayed inside of her at least a couple more days. She was for sure not ready to come out of the womb. She needed to be in there. So when Isaiah came along, we were going to wait as long as we could. We weren't going to do the whole 30 hour thing again. That was ridiculous. We didn't sleep for days, but truth is I haven't slept in eight years, so it really doesn't matter. But I didn't know that at the time we hadn't slept and we just said, we're going to do this differently this time. So the, day, so the day that Isaiah was born, Laura began to show signs that she was going into labor. And the contractions were fairly regular, around eight, nine, 10 minutes at times. But we just went on about our day. And as we were going on about our day, you know, the contractions remained regular. And we went out to eat. We went and visited some friends. We probably went for a walk, the dog, spent some time with Madison. And then Laura, her aunt and her mom, 
went out to eat, and Madison and I went and got some ice cream at night. Well, about 30 minutes into having ice cream with Madison, I get this phone call from her mom, and her mom says, we're coming right now. We're going to the hospital. Uh, it's time. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's fine. And they're like five or six miles away in a city, so it's going to take them a little bit to get to us. So Madison and I drive on over, and I'm expecting, well, last one was 30 hours. You know, I'm not, I'm not really expecting anything quickly. But the next thing I know, I see this person driving through the parking lot with like just screeching through the parking lot, smoke coming off the tires. I'm like, oh no, this, is, this isn't good. And sure enough, she pulls up like a mob boss about to drop off a body. She screeches in there. Madison, or Madison and I are standing there. Laura rolls out of the car. She's in so much pain. And I'm thinking, what has just happened? And then I come to find out those contractions quickly went from seven or eight minutes down to like two minutes, a minute and a half. And so she's in intense pain at this moment. So Madison, we hand her off to the mother-in-law. Laura and I, get, I kind of drag her into the, <laughs> into the hospital. We get into the elevator. She says, go to the second floor. So of course I hit the fourth floor button. True story. Her water breaks in the process of getting going to the fourth floor and then we have to go back down to the second floor. We come out, she's screaming for an epidural, <laughs> which is totally understandable. But then the nurse says, honey, your 10 centimeters dilated. You're, there's no epidural for you. There's no time. And with that, you know, they're screaming and there's crying. That was just me. And then it, it just wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> but I tell you what, 30 minutes at the absolute most from her rolling out of that car to holding Isaiah in her arms. And that's when he was born. 30 minutes at the absolute most. It went that quick. And you know, whenever you give birth to a baby, I mean, this is just from my observation, is that you want it to go as quickly as you possibly can. So we went from 30 hours to 30 minutes. And it's just one of those things where in hindsight, we look back, man, that was just not the path. That was not the, the journey that we <laughs> expected to go on with him being born. I mean, that was really, really close. I could have been delivering a baby in an elevator, for goodness sake. It, 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 just, it wasn't good. As we look at the text today, the scripture in Matthew chapter 1, what we're going to find is that Jesus coming into this world, he too went on an unlikely path. It was an unlikely journey. It was an unlikely genealogy that brought him into this world. But that's what Matthew is recapping for us in Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look at, in chapter 1, verse 1 through 17, one of the most unread scriptures in all of the Bible, probably the most unread scripture in the New Testament, certainly one of the most unread or unpreached scriptures in all of the Bible. And we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Perez and, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And I know it's some, I'm sensing what you're thinking. Is he really going to read all of this? Yes, I am. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. This is the only time a king is referenced, but there are other kings in here. This is significant. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, 
Jeconoi was the father of Sheatil, Sheatil, the father of Zerubbabel. Now, people like to name their kids after people in the Bible, but there's just some names that just need to stay in the Bible. <laughs> Zerubbabel might be one of those names. It's just throwing it out there. Maybe you name your dog that or something, but Zerubbabel, no, don't even do, don't even go there. Just leave it in the Bible. The father of Abahud, Abahud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Iliad, 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 the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And there were other generations and other people that were a part of that genealogy, just those names weren't significant, and so those names were not mentioned. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. Our mission is to offer you hope through Christ-centered biblical preaching. We certainly hope that this broadcast is doing just that for you today. You might not know this, but each of these sermons are recorded live at Valley View Christian Church in the Denver metropolitan area. If you live in the city, we'd love to meet you in person. We offer Sunday services at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. We have programming for children of all ages, dynamic worship, plenty of opportunities to get connected beyond Sundays, outreach initiatives, and much, much more. Do you want to know why we do all that we do? Because so much of our church leadership has had their life changed at a local church. Because it's here that we met Jesus and he changed our lives. And we want Jesus to change your life as well. So attend a service at Valley View Christian Church. We would love to meet you personally. We're located just south of Highlands Ranch off of Highway 85 Santa Fe. You can go to our church's website, valleyviewcc.com for more information. And again, those Sunday service times are at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. Now let's get back to our program. Now, Matthew begins his gospel different than the other gospels. And if you didn't know this, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Gene, uh, Pastor Gene, who led us in our communion time, he did a great job talking about John 1. But John 1 is very poetic. Last week, he talked about John 1. And John 1 is very poetic. And in the word was the, when the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word uh, was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. I mean, just beautiful language. Matthew doesn't start that way. Matthew doesn't start the way that Mark starts. He doesn't start the way that Luke starts. He starts in his own way. And why is that? One of the reasons is he wants to convince his first century Jewish audience why they need to believe in Jesus, why they need to accept Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. And what he's doing in this genealogy, this is very intentional stuff, okay? I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were probably drafts. There was a lot of consideration, obviously, through guidance of the Holy Spirit to get this gospel of Matthew brought to us as Matthew was putting it down. This genealogy was very intentional as it foreshadows the rest of the gospel and what he's going to lay out throughout it. But what we have to understand is in our day and time, we're concerned about titles, degrees, possessions. Those are the types of things that cause you to want to listen to somebody, cause you want to follow somebody. In this day and time, what was first and foremost most important was where did you come from? 
In John chapter 19, Pilate looks at Jesus and he asks the question, where did you come from? Because where you came from for right and for wrong often influence how people received you and accepted you. And so Matthew begins with this genealogy saying, this is where Jesus came from. And he's very intentional about the people he mentions and the people that he does not mention. And why is that? Well, the first thing that we learn from this genealogy is this. Here's our lesson. that he wants these first century Jewish audience and even us today to understand is that Jesus isn't a counterfeit Messiah, but the real Messiah. And we want to hang on that word there, real, because even in that day and even in our day, there were many people who had never seen Jesus, who had never heard Jesus, um, who had never followed Jesus. They didn't know necessarily if he was real. And so they begin with the genealogy to convince them. Matthew begins with it to convince them that Jesus was actually a real person. He can become of such stature to us today that he almost seems mythical. And so Paul, or so, so this gospel, Matthew, be, is begun with the genealogy. R.C. Spohl wrote a commentary on the gospel of Matthew. And in that commentary, he shares a story of a biblical translator for the Wycliffe Bible translation, Bible translators. And what Wycliffe does is they go into these indigenous groups and they translate the scriptures into their language. Well, one particular woman went to a people group that, that had an oral language, but they didn't have a written language. They had a language that they were able to communicate with one another about, but they didn't have a language that they could read that could offer them directives. And so she spends 10 years learning this language of this particular people group. And with that, she translates the Gospel of Matthew. But with deadlines and different things to consider, she hurried the gospel along by beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, which was after the genealogy. Well, when the gospel arrived, finally, the one that she'd been waiting on, working on for 10 years, even along the way she'd been telling them about Jesus, the people were more interested in the trucks that delivered the gospel than they were in the actual words that were written in this newfound language of theirs. Well, the woman persevered and she finished, she, she put out another edition. She finished the entirety of the gospel, including the genealogy, made a few other corrections. When it finally arrived, she went to the chief of this particular tribe. And when she went to the chief, she began to explain some of the differences in this second edition, starting with the genealogy. Before she could even get to the other corrections and changes that she had made with the gospel, the, the chief stopped her and said, you mean to tell me? She, he asked her this question. He said, you mean to tell me that this Jesus you've been telling us about for 10 years is a real person? And she said, well, of course he's a real person. And the chief said, I thought he was a mythical character who you had just created for us to learn lessons from. And she said, no, he's our savior. And this is his lineage that brought him to us. Shortly thereafter, the chief would come to believe in Jesus, and then the tribe would follow from there because they realized that Jesus was a real person. Now, that translator underestimated the significance of Jesus' genealogy, but Matthew doesn't do that. And that's why he included it in these first 17 verses. 
And with that, there's a few things that we need to learn from the genealogy, connections that Matthew makes that would have convinced people in that day, maybe even in our day, to believe in Jesus. The first connection that he makes is this. Matthew connects Jesus to Abraham's promised blessing. The Jewish people knew that they were supposed to be a blessing to the nations, but they didn't know exactly how it was going to take place. They didn't know how God was going to do it. This genealogy has both Jew and Gentile in it. Genesis chapter 12, verse three says this, I will bless those who bless you. And this is God speaking to Abraham, giving him this promise, this covenant, this thing that Jewish people attach themselves to. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So they knew they were supposed to be a blessing to all the people. They just weren't sure how. Well, by beginning with Abraham, the reason he starts with Abraham is because it's to a Jewish audience. Luke's gospel is more to a Gentile audience, and so it starts with Adam. So there's all there, there's objectives uh, in the writing of these gospels. They're going to be a blessing to all of the people. And so for a Jewish person to believe in Jesus, the Messiah, believe in the Messiah, they had to connect it to Abraham. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I know that it has been to others. You see, it is through the generous contributions of people like you that this ministry can thrive and get God's truth out into the world. I recently received a card from someone who said, thank you for these messages on Hope for the Day. They are encouraging and refreshing as we get the opportunity to hear biblically-centered teaching that continually points people to Christ. And that is just one of several notes that we have received of those who appreciate the teaching here at Hope for the Day. If you'd like to become a partner of ours, just go to Valley View Christian Church's website at valleyviewcc.com. It's there that you can click on the Give tab, and then you can designate your gift to go to the Hope for the Day ministry. And we would love it if you would partner with us in this way, and I know many others would as well. If you are in the Denver metropolitan area, we wouldn't want you to just be a supporter of ours. We want you to attend one of our services in person to be a part of the experience that we have here at Valley View Christian Church. We offer three service times on Sunday at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. And it's at each one of these services that we record the messages that you hear here on Hope for the Day. Now let's get back to today's broadcast. Now, in this day, there were many fake, counterfeit messiahs that were popping up. Um, in Acts chapter 5, one of those is, is actually mentioned. It's uh, Judah, Judah the Galilean, uh, for example. He's one of those fake messiahs that people were following that they realized wasn't the true messiah. And so there has to be these connections that are made. The second connection that he makes is to the royal line. He does this three ways in the genealogy. The first is connecting Jesus to King David. Okay, that's very significant. Here's the promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that connects Jesus, that, that, that connects um, the, the throne that God would establish that would be forever. And then Jesus is obviously attached to David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, and again, this is God speaking to David, I will raise you up, raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, if you compare 
Matthew and Luke's genealogies, they're essentially the same, or there's a lot of similarities leading up to David, and then they, they part ways. And the thought there is, is from there, Mary's genealogy is spoken in Luke, and more of Joseph's line is communicated to us in Matthew. But again, this is a promise that the Jews knew that a king would come. Now, he wasn't the king that they would expect, but the Messiah would be the king, and they needed to have Jesus attached to David. The third connection that they make is to the identity that Matthew makes, is to the identity of the Jewish people. Their identity, like who they were. Some of you think that your identity is maybe like you're gonna be a great dad or you're a, you know, your identity is maybe in a title that you have. Uh, your identity is in, in something, um, a part of who you are, okay? And, and that identity is a part of who you are. And so what Matthew is doing is he's tapping into their identity. And part of their identity was Abraham and David. The, major, the most significant parts of the Jewish people's identity was Abraham and David. And for what Matthew is doing is this, is for the people to remain connected to Abraham, to remain connected to David, then they would have to remain connected or get connected to the one that they were pointing to, which is Jesus. The fourth thing that Matthew connects Jesus to is a supernatural birth. They knew that there would be some sort of a sign. And what he does in this text here, I'll read it to you again. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. And so Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. But it doesn't say that Joseph is the father of Jesus because God is his father. And this is a connection to this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And this was a sign that the Messiah would come into this world. Now, one other thing I'm going to share with you from the genealogy, and you know, I'm going to geek out a little bit for you here. We'll go back to this text, is back to the royal line deal. Um, the, Jacob had 12 sons. Two of those sons have royalty attached to them. One is Joseph, which his royalty is connected to through his influence in Egypt. Um, he was the one who oversaw the land. I mean, he had power over everybody except for Pharaoh. I mean, that, that was, he was that tie, had that kind of a, a position there in Egypt. And, and so if you look at the, uh, and then there was Judah, who was also almost immediately um, given royalty. All the kings come out of the line of Judah. Um, Judah is the one who Jacob prophesied would rule over his brothers. And so... When the genealogy begins, you have Jacob, who is the father of Judah, okay? So you got at the very beginning of the genealogy, you've got Judah, who's royalty. But then you come down, and you don't hear anything about Joseph until you get to hear, and Jacob, the father of Joseph. And so what you have is you have a bookending of, royal, of this royal line. And if most people in the first century might not have picked up on this, certainly Jewish scholars in that day would have picked up on it, that what Matthew is doing is he is making this really tight connection using Judah, using Joseph. Again, there were many other people in the genealogy, but he's very intentional about the names he uses to accomplish his purpose to show that Jesus is the true Messiah. The second thing that we learn from the genealogy is that God uses real people, not ideal people. 
If you look through that, those, the list of those names, and many of them you can go into the Old Testament and find their stories, you realize that they are very compromised people. They're the kind of people who aren't perfect. They're the kind of people that you wouldn't necessarily expect a Messiah to come from. They're not just Jewish people again, they're also Gentile people. Like for example, you can look at Jacob. And the lesson that we learned from Jacob is this, and there are many things that you can learn about Jacob's story. He was definitely a compromised person. But one of the more well-known stories of Jacob is that he wrestled with God. He wrestled with God one night. He wanted God's blessing. And so he was willing to hang on to God until he got the blessing. And as I've talked to some of you, I found that you now, certainly in the past, are wrestling with things. I know of someone in our church who is wrestling with God over the fact that his wife wants a divorce. Somebody else is wrestling with the fact that they have a child who has a mental disability and they're wanting to know, God, why? Why, why does my child have this condition? Somebody else in our church is struggling with the fact that they had a child who died and they wanna know why God would allow that to happen. And another person is struggling with doubts that they have and they're wrestling with God over these doubts that they've got and they're looking for answers and they're trying to find answers and they're wrestling and they're wrestling and they're wrestling. And many of you, I would venture to say almost all of you have, most of you, probably at least some of you are wrestling with God right now. And what we learned from Jacob from the genealogy is that it's okay to wrestle with God. But know that when you do wrestle with God, what often happens is you get broken in the process. Well, unfortunately, we have to bring today's message to a close. But my hope is that the word that was spoken was an encouragement to you. That's always our hope here at Hope for the Day. Did you know that these messages are recorded at Valley View Christian Church every Sunday? And if you're here in the Denver metropolitan area, we'd love to have you attend one of our Sunday services at Valley View Christian Church. We have Sunday service times at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. And we'd love to have you come and attend one of those services and be with us. And I, Pastor Philip Holland, would love to meet you in person. And also remember that the Hope for the Day broadcast is available on your favorite podcast provider. So we look forward to having you again with us on Hope for the Day.